Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as the time of the judges draws to a close, and the era of the kings begins. God is rejected, but His mercy toward His people endures. You're listening to Prism Bible. As we've explored the Bible story so far, we've been in a singular context. The context of God's rule over all things. Since God made all things, He has rights to all things, and He retains sovereign rule over all things. Remember God's sovereignty is simply this. God's right to do what He wants, whenever He wants, with all that is His. And God expresses His rule over the world through both direct activity in it, like the parting of the Red Sea for the Israelites, and through the granting of subordinate sovereignty to others, like when He commanded Adam and Eve to rule over the earth. He expresses His sovereignty in both direct and permissive ways. Said another way, God in His sovereignty can do whatever He wants, and in many cases what He wants to do is grant sovereignty to others so that they can do what they want with what they rule. Adam and Eve were to freely rule over the world under the authority of only God Himself. That said, subordinate sovereignty granted by God always exists in the context of God's overarching rule over all things. That means that when subordinate sovereignty is misused, God can still do whatever He wants. Oftentimes God will bring judgment on someone who misuses the sovereignty granted to them. And in a very small way we've seen this with the Israelites over the last several lessons. God essentially grants Israel subordinate sovereignty over the land, saying essentially, conquer it and rule it. And yet they also have a choice before them. They get to choose whether to follow God's law or not. They may have sovereignty, but they won't rule over the land in a vacuum. They still have an ultimate ruler who's given his commands to them, and consequences will follow their choices. If they obey, blessing in the land. If they disobey, cursing away from the land. Israel can do what it wants as it rules over the land, but that doesn't mean it escapes God's overarching sovereignty. Now, God has been interacting with the Israelites as the direct ruler over them, as the unseen king over Israel. In the wilderness, he ruled them through Moses as his mouthpiece and the pillars of cloud and fire to show them where to go. In the initial conquest of the land, he ruled the people through Joshua. After that, God raised up judge after judge to lead the people by God's power. God's rule, though indirect and through particular leaders, was God's rule. And ever since he saved Israel from Egyptian slavery, he's been demonstrating his kingship over the nation. For hundreds of years, God has been king to the Israelites. But those days of God's kingship are being rejected. The era of the kings is set to begin, and it all starts with a man named Samuel. Now, when Samuel is a little boy, he's called by God to be a prophet to Israel. He would be a man through whom God would speak to the nation. Samuel grew up around the tabernacle tent, and his ministry as a prophet was apparent to all. In fact, he also became judge over Israel due to God's call on his life. 
Samuel was judge over Israel, like many who'd come before him and delivered Israel from their enemies. Yet Samuel would be the final judge. Kings were now set to arise from the nation, because when Samuel became old, the people of Israel said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to judge us, like all the other nations. But when they said this, Give us a king to judge us, their demand was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For it is not you that they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king, just as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but you must solemnly warn them and show them the manner of the king who will reign over them. Don't miss what God says here. God says that they are rejecting his rule as king over them. They want someone they can see, who they can rally behind, who will fight their battles. They want to be like the other nations who have kings. And God essentially says to Samuel, Give the people what they want, but warn them first. So Samuel obeys God and goes to the people to warn them that the king will tax them, take their sons for his army, take their daughters to work as his servants. The king will take the best of their fields, their harvests, and their livestock. Further, he says, When that day comes, you will beg for relief from the king that you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Despite this stark warning from the prophet Samuel, however, the people still demand a king. So God gives the people just the king they want. A king after the heart of the people. A king named Saul. Saul is from a wealthy household, and he numbers among the tallest and most handsome men in Israel. Saul is the kind of man, perhaps, that the people want to follow. And Samuel the judge and prophet anoints Saul as king over Israel. It's with this anointing that the time of the judges ends and the time of the kings has come. Now, anointing was a practice done in Israel to essentially commission someone to an office. To be anointed was to have oil poured on your head, and this was largely done to priests and to kings as a designation of their office. Anointing was setting the person apart from others for their particular calling from God. This detail becomes important as we begin to discover in the Bible that a certain anointed one becomes core to the central hope of the nation and of the world, which we'll get to in a future lesson. So Saul is anointed king by Samuel, and Saul begins to rule over the people of Israel. For a time he succeeds and rules the people in a God-honoring way. But after two years he turns the wrong direction. While struggling in battle with a group of people in the land called the Philistines, Saul decides to try to gain God's favor by performing a sacrifice, which only priests were supposed to perform according to the law that God had given. Needless to say, this was not good. Saul was not permitted to make this sacrifice, and as soon as the prophet Samuel shows up and sees what has happened, he says this to King Saul. You have acted foolishly, Samuel declared. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept the command of the Lord. After only about two years with Saul as king over Israel, Samuel announces that Saul's dynasty will end with him. 
Saul will be replaced by someone else. A new dynasty will rise, starting with a man after God's heart. A dynasty that will have ramifications for the future of the world. The people have made a blunder, and the king that they wanted has fallen as well. First they demand a king instead of God, and then their king makes an unlawful sacrifice. As we see the end of Saul's single-generation dynasty, we might be asking ourselves, why does God continue to put up with this nation who continually rejects him? Just think for a moment of the trajectory of the nation of Israel so far. Ever since Egypt, the nation has been on a slow spiral downward. Within weeks, they complain after leaving Egypt. They build the golden calf as a fake god. They reject going into the land of Canaan. Then after a brief obedient revival under Joshua, the judges enter the picture as the cycle of rejecting God happens over and over again. Until finally, Israel demands a king from God, rejecting his rule over them. If there was any nation that deserved punishment, wasn't it Israel? And yet, God is both merciful and gracious. In his mercy, he doesn't give them the punishment they deserve, and in his grace, he gives them blessing that they don't deserve. God is merciful to the nation, often relieving them from deserved destruction, granting chance after chance to turn back to him. And on top of that, he graciously provides for and saves the people time and time again. God didn't have to give them manna bread from heaven. God didn't have to lead them by the pillars of cloud and fire in the wilderness. God didn't have to give them victory over their enemies. Yet here, with the people's rejection of God as king and ruler over the nation, we see the nation continue this downward trend. Despite God's patience toward them and unending mercy, they continue to rebel. But God isn't done with his nation, because the darkness of their sin only highlights God's mercy, always waiting for his people to turn to him. He's always waiting with grace and blessing, even when his people don't deserve it. Even though they have rejected him, he still yet graciously provides kings to lead the nation to more victories as they continue conquering the land of Canaan. God requires 100% obedience, and this is always and forever true of God. But God is also overflowing with mercy and grace, who will give a second chance a thousand times over to anyone who has a heart that turns to him in faith and trust. We're going to see this with the next king of Israel, who, though a corrupt sinner, demonstrates the life of faith that seeks to honor God. A king who recognizes the mercy and grace of God so much that he says this about God, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The next king knows that God wants the heart more than he wants sacrifices. He wants the heart more than he wants the law. Because when God has your heart, everything else falls into place. The heart of faith, after all, is the key to righteousness. Join us next time as we meet the king after God's heart, the man to whom God makes some of the greatest promises in the whole Bible. 
Don't forget to download the PRISM Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.